Cheers, y'all. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this fine program called Smokin' and Toastin', known internationally as the show that's all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. We are live in the studio this week on show number 163, and we got started about, for the people who watch the show live on uh, Facebook Live, we got started about 10 minutes late, which I figure kind of balances the scales karmically, because we were on time for the last two weeks, like right on time, time. and I think it, I think it threw some people off because people are used to the show starting at one ish sharp a very you know? specific a little bit after one yeah yes. that's right so <laughs> so uh we ran a little later this week apologies for that but we are here and boy are we glad we're here because mark burrell is our guest Woo! again today Love that mark guy. welcome to the thank show you. thank happy you happy to be here thank you for being here uh want to mention that we're brought to you by b&b butchers and restaurant at 1814 washington <laughs> ave in houston and in the shops at clear fork in fort worth bb italia on memorial in Houston, BB Lemon on Washington Ave, and of course the Annie Cafe and Bar on Post Oak in Houston. Uh, Mark is uh, our, you've become basically our show's resident wine expert. For the first year and a half of the show, we didn't have a wine expert. Welcome to the show. So if you feel happy. like, if you feel like <laughs> sure. we ask you to be on a lot, it's because we're like making up for lost time. We gotta, we gotta, you know, <laughs> uh, we gotta really, uh, really present ourselves. Somebody's well. gotta talk about wine around here. That's right. Somebody's gotta do it. And of course, so we had you on. Um, the first time, I want to say, what is about twenty shows ago or so, and uh, maybe it wasn't that long. I don't know, but it was uh, it this was awesome. summer. I think it was this yeah. summer. Yeah, it was it was a great show. We had we had a wonderful time. We tasted some wines, including one that I still order now every time I come to the uh, Rainbow Lodge. Uh, and then we uh, were back live at the Rainbow Lodge, um, and we were going to talk about cocktails and wine for the holidays. And we had the guys from Treaty Oak on. Yeah, that's right. And we we had such fun talking about Treaty Oak and cocktails that we didn't go to wine at all. So we said, all right, before Thanksgiving, we got to have you come back in because people are planning their holiday parties now. Uh, my uh, wife actually sent out a, a note yesterday saying it's only like, you know, two days away from the company holiday party. It's not really two days, but that's that's, <laughs> that's really it's what it like, seemed right? like. Yeah, and it's like, holy cow, we gotta get we gotta get our act together here. So um, what we've asked Mark to do is today to suggest some wines that would be, you know, good ones for holiday parties, holiday get togethers and, and of course if you're uh, And for a Tuesday. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes when we're having either uh, one of our uh, company get togethers or where I've just had to go out and stock up on like beers and and uh, spirits and things to bring on the show. Every now and then I'll be getting into the elevator in my building uh, with all this liquor, and uh, someone invariably will look at me say and say, "Oh, party!" <laughs> and I always go, "Nah, Tuesday." That happens every day at my house. <laughs> Tuesday, yeah. So, uh, so anyway, welcome to the show. It's number one hundred and sixty-three. Uh, we will be talking about wine for the holidays, but we have so much to talk about today. And I'm glad you're here, Mark, because you're. It's always great to get your take on some of these things. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how we'll get to all of this, but let me tell you some of the things that are on the list that we want to try to talk about today. Okay. Uh, the first is there's a big Bach war that has erupted in Texas. 
Bach meaning the style, the of, style beer. of beer. Yes. And so we want to cover that, tell you what's going on, and we're going to actually taste the two Bachs that are at war. We're going to do blind taste test. Do a blind taste. And, uh, and we'll, see, we'll see how that works out, and then we'll use that to kind of guide our take on this whole uh, Bach war. So that'll be, that'll be coming up on the show. We'll definitely get time to that, uh, to get time to get to that. Uh, the bill that would ban online and catalog cigar sales completely has taken a big step forward. It has cleared committee and is now uh, headed towards the general floor vote. And the, um, the part of it where online and catalog cigar sales for premium cigars would be completely prohibited is still in the bill. So we have to talk about that because that's important. I just don't uh, even understand the justification for that. Well, uh, you know, it, there's some interesting quotes in this in this uh, article from Cigar Aficionado that I'll be looking at when we uh, when we talk about this and hopefully it's not quite as bad as the news looks, but we'll we'll get to it. Um, the 19 best beers of 2019 a new uh, list that has come out that we will uh, try to get to that we're pretty excited about. And uh, as if that weren't enough, South Af- there's a South African gin that we have to talk about because it's infused with elephant dung. What? And I'm not even You had kidding. me for a second. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I'm what? not even kidding. Fortunately, we don't have any of it to sample can, on the show. Can today. we pair that with the coffee bean that comes out of the <laughs> critter's be, butt? Wouldn't it be great to get? <laughs> wouldn't it be great to get uh, uh, like a regular gin, like a you know, like a Hendrix or or something like that, and then the dung infused gin and blind taste test them side by side <laughs> and go, which one? Which one is dung infused? Which one tastes like crap? <laughs> so man, there's so there's just so much going on this week, and uh, and I've been. I've had a busy week. But there's so much to talk about, so I'm really excited about getting to all of it. Uh, and, of course, uh, we'll get to the wine tasting. Oh, by the way, and, Ian, we're absent Mr. Twirly Gig, but you might want to show this off because this is a beautiful bottle. Uh, this is the tequila we'll be tasting today, the Frida Kahlo Tequila Añejo. And um, uh, Frida is a, she's a huge revolutionary symbol in uh, South American culture. And I know this because I watched a movie that uh, where she was played her character, the character of her, which is based on true life stuff, was played by Salma Hayek. I don't really remember anything about the movie except Salma Hayek. That's all I remember. Yeah, and the <laughs> guy that, she's amazing. Yeah, she's pretty awesome. And then the, there was the guy the he's been in a bunch of stuff. Antonio Banderas. Yeah, yeah, he was in it as well. Yes, pretty awesome. But I really only remember Salma Hayek. So, uh, but anyway, we'll uh, we'll taste the tequila, and I'm excited about that. And uh, speaking of tasting, Ian, uh, I know we're you know fresh off the whiskey sniff, and you probably had you know your uh, your fill of cigars that week. But another week has passed. Have you had a chance to smoke anything interesting this week? You know, it's funny you should ask because yeah. uh, you I know. kind of already know the answer to this because <laughs> you were there. Yes, <laughs> I snuck off to my normal uh, Casa de Monte Cristo in the morning and. Um, and picked out a cigar that I hadn't seen before. This is the new Aganorsa Leaf uh, Guardian of the Farm, mm-hmm. and it's the Night Watch edition of this. Um, this uh, the the one I selected is called the Rambo. Quick, Night Watch was a uh, was a huge platinum album for what seventies and eighties pop singer. Night Watch. Night Watch. I don't know. Ding, 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 dun. Kenny Loggins. Oh. Kenny Loggins. It was the one that had the song uh, Whenever I Call Your Friend with Stevie Nicks. You remember that? 
I do. Right now, about three quarters of our audience is going. These guys. They're, are they're so all. They're old. all just logging off. They're like, so, so old. old. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I like to. Get so this uh, this cigar, and I'm uh, I'm pulling up half wheel here because I didn't get all my notes in. So I'm pulling up half wheel just to let you know this is a Corojo Maduro leaf mm-hmm. um, from Nicaragua, um, and it's a Corojo binder. Uh, from the Jalapa region of Nicaragua as well, and Corojo and uh, Cirillo, Carrillo, I don't know exactly. Carrillo, Carrillo, Carrillo. Fillers uh, grown in Esteli and Jalapa as well. Um, so uh, this one, uh, let me pull up my notes. Guardian of the Farm is the one that has the the dog. The dog, right? Yeah, this yeah. is this is dedicated to the the they they say it's the uh, the the unsung hero of the farm, but it's the dogs that guard the farm. Okay, that makes know, sense. So this is actually yeah. dedicated to the dogs. Um, and it's a good cigar. I've had uh, a few of the uh, uh, earlier iterations of it that are still available. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the Rambo. as a four and a half by 48 size is what okay. they call it. Um, the appearance, medium brown, smooth, firm, uh, overall feel. Uh, had the standard uh, Guardian of the Farm band, which is the gold with the dog on it, uh, gold and white with the dog on it, as you can see in the picture there. But it also has the uh, red and gold Night Watch band on it mm. as well. And the Night Watch refers to, I think, the fact that it's the darker leaf mm. and uh, like that. Um, the uh, pre-light sniff on this was earth, barnyard chocolate, hay, and a little bit of light pepper. Barnyard, the, comma, chocolate, or is there something called barnyard, barnyard chocolate? chocolate? No, 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 no. That's the stuff they make the gin with. I think That's it is. <laughs> <laughs> barnyard, comma, chocolate. Uh, the pre-light draw, I used a uh, punch on this, as I normally do. Uh, effortless draw, chocolate, hay, uh, earth, a little bit of wood chips kind of uh, flavor in the background going mm. on. And uh, it was a little, um, like, a lot of times you could taste whether it's kind of a cedar or an oaky kind of thing, but this was just kind of... Uh, uh, wood chips it just it didn't really i couldn't really pin it down to any particular thing uh the initial light had a lot of pepper uh and tangy fermented hay right off the bat uh just just right in the nose uh, at first and a woody flavor backing it up once that settled down the first third of this cigar was a lot of chocolate and pepper which is a strange combination pepper mm-hmm. and chocolate yeah um but it was good it was it was a nice uh it was a nice cigar followed by um Woody and earthy notes. It had a very flaky ash, which was annoying because it just kept getting everywhere. You know, like like you take a puff you, and a little bit of ash falls off. You so you have a problem getting <laughs> ash on your clothing. This is like an ongoing Maybe theme Maybe I should stop you. talking with my hands, right? <laughs> 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 Except for I was by myself at first. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> That's never stopped me, by the way. Which means there was no clothing. I was talking to myself. Right? <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> So uh, this, uh, yeah, flaky ash, slightly uneven burn at the beginning of this, but uh, nothing to take away from it. It was fine. The second third of this, it built up to a medium strength. Um, I'd say a little above the beginnings of medium, but not not really uh, not really in the, the, the middle of medium. So mm-hmm. medium minus maybe. Yeah. Uh, Strength-wise, pretty good. Silky smoke, uh, real smooth uh, silky smoke to it. Pepper settled down a little bit. The chocolate and woody notes kind of took over. A little earthiness in the background. It started to go out, and I was puffing on this pretty well. Um, well, about about a third of the way or so through your cigar, I got there. Uh, right, uh, right. To uh, Casa de Monte Cristo. So yeah, you were you were working on that cigar pretty well. Right, were, and uh, yeah, I was I was not ignoring it. I was tending it pretty well. Um, and I have a picture of that too, where it went out. Um, the uh, the um, uh, I, I tended it. it. It went just fine. The last third of this, I, I started kind of 
maybe the wood flavors in there were, were becoming more oaky-like. They were a little mm-hmm. more defined and stuff like that. So that was kind of nice. Moved up to the front. And the chocolate turned more into a milk chocolate. Still had that kind of silkiness. Had a little touch of sweetness towards the end. Usually they get a little more peppery uh, as you smoke them down. They load up a little bit. This one actually got a little sweeter towards the end. It was interesting. Hmm. Um, touch of sweetness and hay, in it, and then the cigar went out hmm. while I was puffing it. Interesting. That was annoying. I took a picture of it. There's a little split in it. Um, yeah, I've, I've had that happen happened. before. Yeah. It didn't seem to mess with the uh, smoke. It didn't create a leak or anything like that, which is really annoying. If you've ever had a cigar with a leak in it, you got to right. keep your finger over uh-huh. it so that you can yes. actually smoke the thing. It's like having a straw with a little pinhole uh-huh. in it. That sucks. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we've, all, we've all struggled with that yeah. in our lives, right? <laughs> so, um, so the cigar went out, uh, and it started to split. I relit it. Uh, it didn't really have a relight penalty. It relit just fine, and, and, and the last a little bit of this cigar smoke fine however just due to the annoyance of the fact that it tried to go out on me once and i had to tend it mm-hmm. um and then it went out entirely while i was puffing it that was really weird by the way yeah like, i've had that happen but not often yeah and um that was a little annoying so i, I you know if if i didn't have those issues with it this cigar uh was seven dollars and seventy cents you know eight ish dollars i would have given this a solid five but I'm giving it four and a half uh, due to those uh, annoying things. It's a good cigar, though. I mean, the, the flavor flavor's was great. really yeah. good. Uh, and those uh, two little issues were not that big of a deal. The split happened at the very end of the cigar. It wasn't Again, I'm not trying to make excuses for the cigar, but it really didn't bother me that much. Um, the, uh, the But five and a half on the price to quality just because – or I'm sorry, four and a half on the price to quality just because of the, uh, just because yeah, of the construction sure. issue I, on it. I agree. It's going to have to taste awfully good. To get a five or better, if you're if you have if you've got issues, construction right. issues, yeah. And I will tell you, I would probably buy another one because I okay. like the flavor enough. I would buy another one, and hopefully the next chance. one you yeah. wouldn't have the same and, construction and, issues. And maybe I'll do that. Uh, maybe I'll do that this week uh, and give an update. But uh, I kind of wanted it to not have those issues because uh, you were liking it. Yeah, because yeah. I like the cigar. So I get it. How about yourself? Good. I saw you uh, come in and pick up something. Yes, I did. Uh, you were already at Casa de Monte Cristo when I arrived, but I uh, I took a few moments and. Browsed the humidor looking for something that I hadn't had and uh, uh, came upon um, a new CAO release. And, uh, you know, CAO a couple of years ago released the whole Flathead line, which is kind of based on... yeah, uh, motorcycles and and that kind of a that kind of right. a vibe to it. It's got a real automotive motorcycle sort of a vibe. But the interesting thing about these cigars is they have a tendency to be fairly large ring gauges, right? And they're square box pressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think almost all of them. Yeah. are. there may be one or two in the line that aren't. I, but I don't remember. I but are. I remember uh, smoking a few of the uh, spark plug size. See, I like those little spark plugs. Thing. Yes. Well, this box one press. this one was a a V nineteen Gordo. Now, when I think mm-hmm. Gordo, I think of those ginormous cigars right, like right. you like to smoke when you're inner tubing in the summer. <laughs> uh, but this one wasn't that long. It was a uh, it was about five five inches long or so. Uh, but it was nice and thick. It was a, a definite uh, large ring gauge and square box pressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought, all right, I'll try this, and then uh, looked up a little information on it as I was uh, as I was smoking it. So I can tell you, it's a Connecticut broadleaf wrapper. Uh, a Connecticut Habano binder, so that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And then Nicaraguan and Dominican fillers on this. What's interesting, apparently, about the V19 is, as opposed to the other flathead uh, cigars in the flathead line, this one they ferment because I think these are all Maduros mm-hmm. in this line. They ferment it for less time 
so when cigar tobacco is fermented, that's before it's rolled into the cigar. Right. Right. So it's fermented in the bunches of leaves. We learned this. The when we were, yeah. We, we learned this when we were down uh, in uh, Honduras. Uh, they ferment it for less time than the regular flatheads. So apparently this causes the leaves to retain a little more of their initial uh, flavor and stuff because as you ferment it, it takes on more of the right. Maduro flavors. Uh, but then once it's rolled, they age the cigars for longer so that this, uh, this comes out with the same level of aging as the stuff that they ferment longer, but they just do it in the, the steps and phases are different. What uh, if they're doing that to, uh, to manipulate the flavor of the cigar? Absolutely. The yeah. Absolutely, because they're trying to hold on to more of the original flavor of this Connecticut mm-hmm. Broadleaf wrapper and the uh, Connecticut Habano binder in particular, so they don't ferment it as long. Um, and uh, it, it comes out pretty well. It's a nice dark cigar. The pre-light on it was uh, leather and uh, dark tobacco. I tried using a V-cut. You know how at um, at Casa de Monte Cristo and a lot of stores have these? They have that table-mounted V-cutter with yeah, the handle yeah, on yeah. it. So I used the one with the largest uh, aperture on it and I used the V-cut because I thought it will just put a V-cut right across the center. Turns out it took off about half the cap. Oh no! <laughs> so I thought, okay, so I turned it over and did the other side. The whole cap was gone. It was perfect. It was right, like, right, right. It was like I'd done a straight cut, which would have been hard to do on a uh, cigar that large. Right, right. So, uh, but in any case, uh, it worked out perfectly. I lit it right up. And what I discovered about this thing was really, and I don't know if I've used this word to describe cigar tasting before, but very deep flavors. Huh. It just felt like they were way down inside the cigar and they just came sort of wafting out as you smoked it. Leather, uh, dried fruit, no pepper, none. Wow. Uh, uh, and uh, But it did have a very pleasant hint of molasses that gave it this sweetness, but not not a an on-the-lips sweetness, more like on-the-palate uh, kind of sweetness. Uh, it was nice, very complex, and the flavors, although they changed and adapted as the cigar smoked, they stayed with that same sort of deep uh, sort of vibe to them uh, all the way through. I would say it's the cigar equivalent of a barley wine. Does that make sense? The way the barley that, wine flavors are deeper. You're making and more, this sound amazing. I know. I, I you think know, and I eyeballed that cigar too. I think it's a cigar you would really like. <laughs> I, I really <laughs> do. Because you're, it's it's very different from what I normally smoke. I usually smoke smoke the more you know Nicaraguan, a little more pepper mm-hmm. forward and spices and not as. But this one was. Uh, I got to tell you, I enjoyed it very much. I'm going to give it a five. I'm on price to quality, which means I got what I paid for, but it was a fifteen dollar cigar. So see, and I thought when yeah. we were sitting there that mm-hmm. you weren't talking to me because you didn't like me anymore. No, it was I, actually because you were enjoying. Your I cigar. was enjoying the cigar. Noted. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I, yeah. I thought you, maybe you were mad at me or something. Well, you know, let's just say that had nothing to do with it. I was enjoying <laughs> the cigar. So, <laughs> so anyway, I liked it a lot. Um, it, it is a little pricey. Um, uh, but it, but it, I felt like it was worth it. So a good uh, the uh, CAO Flathead V19 Gordo. They did have a Robusto, which was not quite. It was almost as long, not quite as thick. So uh, that might be worth trying as well. If you, uh, I will say, just because I, I should have gotten started earlier, because I had to leave a little more of the cigar behind than mm-hmm. I intended to. And I don't know if you saw this in the pictures that came by, uh, but it also did about the first inch, almost inch and a half. Uh, Ash you had a stayed long ash. together yeah, before yeah, it fell ash. off, and I, I, I showed uh, one of the pictures that I showed was the ash in the ashtray, and then the cigar. Uh, but it, but it was really good. I enjoyed it, and I will definitely uh, try to get another one of those because I, I thought it was good. Awesome. I, I may try the robusto next time, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make a personal recommendation to you 
in fact, maybe you know Christmas is coming. Maybe I'll maybe you'll find one of those in your uh, in your stocking this year. That for sounds me. good. Yeah, because I am the cigar Santa. The cigar that's, Santa. That's I love I that. <laughs> Santa Santa Cruz bringing cigars and 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 pipe tobacco for all the you know, good little. Since, since I don't want to say boys and girls, but <laughs> since you've been in my life, I can always. I can always look forward to getting some cigars for Christmas. Yes, that's right. That's a, and that's a good thing. See, I want you to like me. <laughs> Please like They like me. Uh, okay, let's uh, take a quick break because I'm excited to get uh, started with some of the wine tasting. But before we do that, there's a, a Bach War going on in Texas. We're going to do a quick blind taste test to determine which one of these two Bachs we think is the best of the two. And then we'll get into the story of what's going on with these uh, these two boxes, a very, very fascinating, mostly marketing-related war that's going on. But the gauntlet has been thrown down, and it'll be interesting to see, to watch Texans especially. The, the glove slap. Yeah, yeah. They will they will be uh, very likely to be taking a side on this. So uh, it's going to be very interesting. So we'll be right back. Uh, yeah, we'll do that in the next segment. Uh, so we'll give uh, Adam a chance to pour those and uh, pass them over. Uh, but we'll be right back with segment number two. And then, of course, the big show today is wine. We'll be tasting wine for the holidays with Mark Burrell. Stay where you are. Welcome back. It's Smoking and Toasting. It is show number 163. We're talking wine for the holidays with Mark Burrell, or we will be uh, shortly. Uh, we have a little uh, blind beer taste to do uh, first. Uh, but before we get to that, a reminder that we're brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth, as well as all the other fine uh, B&B establishments, bacon, bacon, bacon. We were bacon. reminded of how good that bacon is just uh, just two weeks ago at the uh, at the whiskey sniff. So, uh, thank you, by the way, to everybody who came out for the whiskey sniff. What a great time! That was had. so fun. It was so great fun. fun. So, you remember a couple of months ago, Ian, I uh, mentioned that ABN Bev, uh, the Anheuser Busch Corporation, mm-hmm. had the opportunity to purchase uh, the remaining shares of the Craft Beer Alliance, which includes Kona and Red Hook and several other craft beers that right. were not wholly owned by a large um, uh, company, but they were. Uh, part of the Craft Beer Alliance, and they uh, a part of that company was owned by uh, by Anheuser Busch by Budweiser. Uh, they opted not. Uh, by the way, guys, remember which one of these is which. Uh, so remember which one came over first, and then we'll taste that one first, and then the other one second. Um, but um, the um, they had the opportunity at a certain point in the contract that they had that AB had minority ownership. They had the opportunity to complete the purchase and they passed on it and we all thought that was interesting because they seemed to be um you know looking to buy up as much craft Mm -hmm. beer as they as they could well apparently they passed on it because they foresaw that august and september were going to be down months for craft beer and the stock price of the uh craft brew alliance uh took a bit of a hit in those months Months and now AB has come through and at the lower stock price has bought the rest of this. So they are now the uh, the shrewd business people, clear, free and clear owners of uh, these beers. So you can take Kona, uh, you can take Red Hook, and uh, there's there's several more. I'm looking for them in the article here. Uh, you can take Kona and Red Hook and oh, oh Omission. 
the guys that right, do right, the, the um, gluten-free. gluten-free craft yep. beer. So you can take those off of the craft beer list now as far as mm-hmm. the Craft Brewing Alliance is uh, Well, they don't get concerned. the independent right. uh, label right. on the uh, and, and we've, beer anymore. And we've, we've had to adjust our language here on the show. Basically, we'll still call it craft beer if it's still brewed in a smaller craft fashion. Uh, but we'll call it independent if it's not owned by one of the big. I guys. got a new term. Yeah, macrocraft. Macrocraft. That that, <laughs> that, that works. So so that's part of <laughs> yeah. what that's it. part of what's at uh, at discussion uh, right here and right now because uh, one of the beers that we're going to do a blind taste test on here is a macrocraft. Uh, started out as a really. I mean, this this brewery got hot. The Carbach Brewery got super hot in uh, the Houston area and uh, really all across this part of Texas. They were one of the fastest growing craft breweries of the whole craft brewing movement, and they uh, were gobbled up by uh, Anheuser Busch. So now they are not an independent craft beer, but they are a macro, a macro craft. craft beer. And then the other one is Shiner. Uh, the Spetzel Brewery in Shiner, Texas. These guys have been doing it independent style for, yeah, I don't know, 900 years, yes. however long it's been that they've been brewing beer. It's been a very long time. Fiercely independent. So here's what happened recently. Shiner, uh, Texas, is a city that's, quite frankly, not much larger than the brewery itself and the houses that people who mm-hmm. work at the brewery live in. It's a very small, if you're driving from Houston to San Antonio, you can take a nice little 10-minute you know, yeah, detour, detour yeah. and, uh, and enjoy visiting the Shiner uh, Brewery and, and uh, the Special Brewery and tasting some Shiner. Well, we are, um, we are now in the midst of a bit of a turf war because the folks at, um, Carbach. at Carbach, uh put up a sign inside a beer tent at a music festival uh, that, hold on, I just lost my place here. I apologize. Here, here we go back here. Back here. They put a, a sign up at a music festival that is in Shiner that said there's a new Bach in town. And there's, uh, furthermore, a billboard, I believe, that has uh, that has the same message, and it's in Shiner, Texas. There's a new Bach in town. They were talking about their Crawford Bach, which has a name that actually links to the Houston Astros, mm-hmm. and we'll get to that in a moment. But before we do, I wanted us to blind taste test these two Bachs side by side and see what we thought of them comparatively before we kind of take a, a stance on it. So the first one that was handed to us should be the first one that we taste here. And we don't know. Adam poured these. We don't know in what order. So The first one is Carbock. That's going to be my guess as well. Like, I'm just going to lay that down. Because I've had a lot of uh, uh, a lot more Shinerbock in my life than I've had of the Crawford Bock. There's, there's a couple reasons. One, there's not a lot of nose on it. The color, it's actually a pretty beer, but it's also mm-hmm. uh, more carbonated than uh, Shiner, substantially right. more carbonated than Shiner. And then there's just not a lot of body to the flavor, if you so, ask me. So now taste your second one. The second one tastes like Shiner. Now, maybe it's not a really fair blind taste test because we... It's also a little color difference. The uh, the Shiner's a little darker, the, or the one we believe the is The one Shiner. I suspect is... Um, the Carbach is a little redder and a little lighter mm-hmm. in color, and the Shiner is a little browner and a little darker in color, just a little bit. There's a bit more spice on that second one, yep. <clears throat> where that. there's um, I, I get more of a honeyed kind of a caramel 
uh, note in the first one. So, uh, Adam, go ahead and let us know. Was the first one, were we correct, was the first one Crawford Bach from Carbach? Yeah. Okay. And uh, and then the second one was Shiner Bach from Shiner. So, uh, by the way, I'll, I'll just mention the Bach in the Carbach name has nothing to do with Bach beer. That that brewery was named. Yeah, B- and it was named after the street yeah. that it's on in Houston. Uh, so that has nothing to do with Bach. As far as Crawford Bach, there is a connection there. We'll tell you that in a minute. But um, but just side by side, Ian, um, your thoughts on your thoughts on the two um, and how good they are compared to each other. It's the same thing I said before. The Crawford Bach is a drinkable beer, but it's not a lot of body. It's like it's like Fisher Price, my first Bach, mm-hmm. and Bach <laughs> is supposed to have a little bit bigger flavor. That is the whole idea of the style. That's what Bach is. So. Um, and this just this is just a little wimpier. It's not full bodied. It's almost too gentle. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. Gentle's not the right word. It's it's too. It, meh. It doesn't do a lot. There's not a lot of flavor. There's not a lot of lingering. There's not a lot of nose. And uh, there's a lot of carbonation, which I think interrupts some of the darker flavors that you would taste in a in a Bach beer. Right. The Shiner Bach is classic and. Mercy knows I have drank enough of this. Uh, I would be amazed if I got that one wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, and like I said, it's probably not a completely fair blind taste test, but I thought we'd at least try it without, but, you know. But the roundness of the flavor, like the Shinerbach is so classic. The roundness of the flavor in the Shinerbach to me is what makes the Shinerbach such a classic. And, you know, people get down on it even here in town. They're like, oh, you like Shinerbach? There's so many better beers. Shinerbach is classic, and it's a great beer. I it still really buy is. it. By the twelve pack, uh, from time to time, just because sometimes I want that. That's that's my traditional like go to classic. I don't know what else I want. Beer. You know what I love about Shinerbach too is it's the beer that I always try to keep some on hand because I like it, and people I know that are not hardcore craft beer fans like it and drink it. In other words, mm-hmm. people that would be more prone to drink macro uh, brews, a Bud Light or a Miller Light or something left their own devices, also really seem to like and enjoy Shiner Bach. So it's the perfect sort of crowd pleaser, if you will, right. uh, to have. And I, I think that's another reason that it has stayed on so many bars and restaurants that have limited taps or right. limited, limited space. It stayed on their list. Plus, I think it sells really, really well. Now, Crawford Bach was named after uh, a, a section of the stadium at Minute Maid Park where the Astros play. There's a very, apparently it's one of the smallest, um, in terms of its width, one of the smallest uh, primo boxes in baseball. And it borders Crawford Street mm-hmm. uh, on Minute Maid Park. And it became known as the Crawford Box. And so if somebody hits a ball into the that area, they say it goes into the Crawford Box. Well, uh, Carbach, who, I'll just say it now, these guys have always been amazing marketers. They mm-hmm. found a way, because they're Houston-based, that's where their biggest uh, uh, beer support is in terms of their sales, uh, they found a way to uh, connect with the uh, Astros and get the rights to use that and the Astros' colors on the Crawford Bach um, uh, cans and, and on the boxes. So, that's how they introduced it. I would, I would say, as a marketing move, it was a pretty, pretty brilliant one. Um, and so now you see it everywhere uh, in the greater Houston area and all over Texas. But I do wonder. Let and me. By, and by the let way, let me go ahead and point out that this is how they sell it. 
At my HEB, there are, and I'm not joking about this, seven doors of Bud Light. It is solid blue mm. from one end to the other. And these are the giant coolers that are taller than you. There are seven doors of Bud Light. It's a lot of Bud Light. And in the middle of it, they carved a hole out in the middle and put a bunch of Crawford Bach in there. Interesting. Interesting. Wonder who's selling that. The article that uh, <laughs> you know exactly who's selling yeah. that. The article from the Houston Chronicle <laughs> that talked about this little turf war over Bach <clears throat> says um, it's not the beer that stopped many folks in Shiner in their tracks when they saw it. To the makers of the beloved Texas beer Shiner Bach, shots had been fired and boundaries had been crossed. We heard some chatter about uncommon sights around town last month. Uh, said an open letter published in the Shiner Gazette from the Spetzel Brewery. Three billboards and a concert sponsorship touting there's a new Bach in Shiner. And so you got to admit, that's pretty aggressive. Now, I think Shiner needs to rent the nearest billboard to Carbach, preferably yeah. right above it, <laughs> and just put a bottle of Shiner on it. No, yeah. no, no words. Yeah. Just, just a bottle Shiner of Shiner. Bach. Yeah. Uh, Special Brewery, of course, has been a staple in Shiner, Texas. Here's the year since 1909. Mm-hmm. And they're uh, fiercely <clears throat> and proudly independent. Uh, Carbach, of course, uh, started as an independent brewery, was bought by AB in 2016. Uh, the special people, people said it's a huge company with deep pockets seeking to force its way into our town, claiming this wasn't the first time that, uh, and they claimed it the, wasn't the first time the public multinational company uh, has tried to imitate our iconic Shiner Bach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think what they're, they might be referring I. to there. Ziegenbach. Ziegenbach, although that is Michelob actually owned by another, by another company. And yeah. um, there's quite a few others that fall under that, oh, Shiner Bach has taken like the tiniest percentage of our sales, so let's see if we can crush them. Now, here's the part of this <laughs> I find almost the most interesting. Um, the article quotes David Graham who's a friend of ours. He's been here on the show. In fact, we called him. Remember when we had yeah. the question about the, uh, the conservation ale? The yeah. conservation ale. We wanted to know um, if proceeds were going to see uh, conservation, mm-hmm. which he told us that they were. Um, we like David Bach a lot, but here's what he said. Or David Graham, I'm sorry, a lot. But here's what he said. He's the Carbach brand manager. He said the signs in China were placed by Del Papa Distributing Company to promote the Shiner Music Festival. Shiner Music Festival. The company did not believe, they're talking about Carbach, they did not believe the signs were a, quote, direct shot at the local brewery. How can that not be a direct shot? No, come, on, come David, on. Come on, David. I mean, just, just own on. it, you know? Just that's, own it. That's ridiculous. How can that not I call, be a direct shot? I call shot? BS. Yeah. Um, if you're going to take it, that. take it. I mean, that's that's the way I feel yeah. about it. Now, listen, I, I there's a don't, don't throw down the glove and be like, oh, oh I, I might have dropped that. I, I can no, come right, on. Yeah, I can enjoy a good marketing battle. I can. It 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 can be kind of fun. There, I'll give you a perfect example. There's a place if you're driving from Houston to uh, Austin. There's a place about halfway there. Uh, that you would always stop and you know, uh, yeah, Hruskas, right? You yeah. would always stop and you would take a leak and you would, uh, uh, you know, buy uh, some snacks or drinks or whatever for the rest of your journey to Good Austin. Beef jerky. They had nice, clean restrooms and and then Bucky's, the famous Texas convenience store chain, which is known for their clean restrooms. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's their thing, right? Um, and they always do very funny advertising billboards. They opened up about. Uh, about another 40 minutes down the road on the way. Mm-hmm, toward, right there in, uh, toward right as you pull in the bass drop. Yep. And uh, they put up, when they first opened, 
they put up a, a billboard right before you got to Hruska's that said with the the little Bucky's logo, and it said it just said you can hold it. <laughs> See now, I thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was a really good like yeah, it was kind of a direct uh, you know challenge. But I thought it was, you know, funny and well done. Um, I don't know what I think. I, I don't mind them doing this necessarily. But I guess my thing is I would want to be sure that I had the better beer. Because to me, that's in the end, that's what it's going to come down to. If you've got a beer that a Shiner Bach drinker is going to taste and then go, wow, there is a new Bach in town. That's, yeah. that's something. Then you're backing it up. And I'm not... I, I, yeah, don't, what, I don't dislike Crawford Buck, but I'm not sure of, it backs it up. What percentage of these people do you think are really are really interested in the flavor of the beer? They're going to drink something because it has the Astros stripes on it. So you feel like the marketing almost wins the battle in this I, I think it, I think it might. At least in Houston, it might. Now, now you get over towards San Antonio and Austin, you might have a little bit. Well, I was going to say, if you are in the Shiner area, I wonder if you have the same affinity. I know once you leave the Houston city limits, if it's football, it's all about the Dallas Cowboys, yeah. not but about think, the Texans. But I think people that live close to the Spotsville Brewery are very, very fiercely loyal to that. Brewery as well. Uh, you would sure, think just so. like Houstonians are fiercely loyal to the Astros. Right. So yeah, I don't know. Very interesting. I just but but again, let's remember this ad campaign, this billboard campaign is not going on in Houston. But here's here's another this question is going on in uh, in China. So I get that 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 Houston people are fiercely loyal to the Astros, and they should be. We got a great team. Um, but here's a question: Are you drinking it just because the can is the Astros color, or are you drinking it? Uh, is uh, l- let me do this. Let me put it this way: Is there anything about that can that is benefiting the Astros? I would imagine there's a licensing fee being paid for at least the right to use the colors and the uh, the likeness. It doesn't. I mean, it doesn't have the Astros logo on the in can. In what mm-hmm. way are you supporting? Can you, Adam, can you hand me the can? Let's take other a, a than, look at other the Other than the colors can. of the can, in what way are you supporting the Astros oh, by drinking this? I'm wrong. Oh, there, it does there have is the a, Houston Astros. There is a total Houston Astros ah, star, well, so and you I can guess... show that to the uh, to the uh, camera there. That's it not only Houston, Houston Astros star, but it's the it's the colors. So that's that's definitely a co-branded. Uh, beer, no question. Well, and that's and I think that's that's my point is that there's there's so many beer drinkers out there who just want beer. I see it every day in wine. They don't really care. It's just wine is wine they're drinking to a label. lot of people. So they're going to drink it just because. Wow, mm-hmm. they'd and like to support the Astros. So that's really interesting. Um, and and I guess I guess you're right. I mean, you do see this in wine as well, don't sure. you? Sure. Oh yeah. So people s- drink terrible wine all day long. <laughs> <laughs> my opinion, but. <laughs> Well, that it's you know one of the whole things about the show is that uh, it's not like we have you know we pretend that we've got this great taste, but uh, if we're able to pass along something we've tried that we think is maybe better than that, that's that's where the show gets fun to me is that yeah. we're able the to, difference is you care impart that well a lot of people maybe don't so. maybe how so. did you feel about these two. Um, so the the differences were um, I don't want to say they were night and day, but they were maybe like afternoon and evening. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's the, good. I'm going to remember nice. that. Yeah. <laughs> the um, the um, the Carbach um, I felt was I agree with you. I felt it was a little lighter in body. Um, it it, um, it might be a little bit more crowd friendly um, to a lot of a lot of people who maybe yeah. maybe are novices or are you saying it's for the many. 
Well, I, if someone <laughs> was to a larger, if extent, someone yeah. who may not be a beer drinker and but is steeply an Astros fan and saw this and said, "Ooh, I'm going to buy that," they might enjoy it well, a whole lot more than they might enjoy the the Shiner. Now, it's personally, not, it's not a bad. I beer. like the Shiner. Yeah, but I uh, I appreciate the depth and the, the the characteristics and the and the quality of 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 the beer itself. Um, I think that um, that uh, the the Carbach again, might be a little bit more crowd-friendly. It would be interesting to see if by this time next year, because the Crawford Bach came out this year, it'd be interesting to see if by this time next year, if any of the success that it has had in the greater Houston area has come at the expense of Shiner Bach. Hmm. Like, would Shiner Bach mm-hmm. sales be down because people might be buying the Crawford Bach instead? Well, and, you know, uh, it, it, it could be... It could be a hail mary for for a lot of people, a lot of my colleagues, a lot of people in my business. When um, when AB snatched Carbuck up, a lot of my colleagues decided not to not to keep buying their, to buy their product. Yeah, sure. and, and there yeah. was I, I remember a couple of years ago there was a there was a big there was a big deal um, on the news and, and the papers that um, a lot of people had decided you know what we don't need it anymore. and certainly there were bars and establishments yeah. that took it you know That's off right. their taps and stuff. But I think that is counteracted largely and maybe even surpassed by the distribution that they wind up getting with Anheuser Busch. In in other words, like when you go into the HEB or the Kroger or the corner, uh, you know, convenience store or whatever, you're seeing in many cases Carbach represented as the only or just about the only uh, craft-ish beer available again back to my heb so my craft beer section is two doors Mm -hmm. that's the entire craft beer section most of it most of those two doors is carbock beers right and redundancy because they don't have that many flavors right uh there's some shiner there's some other various uh things but if you want any of the better craft beers you have to get them off the warm shelf well i'll tell you not refrigerated section and we actually did get this is awesome because we did get at least some good beers at the HEB by my house, but they're all warm, so I can't like. Right, you can't take them home. Grab right. them and crack yeah, them home yeah, right, right away. You know, right. I gotta. And I'll say this too: when it comes to restaurants, sometimes even really, really good restaurants, and this is something I have to give the Rainbow Lodge huge high marks on because your beer selection is very interesting and I think very well-rounded. There's something for, you know, the mainstream beer drinker, but there's certainly interesting things for the uh, person mm-hmm. who wants to go a little bit deeper with something. What I'm finding at a lot of restaurants, and you can always tell when, you know, the beer selection is managed by someone who's not necessarily a beer person because they have a tendency to do the easy thing, which is they've already got Bud and Bud Light coming in, mm-hmm. so they just have A B kind of round out their drinks and yeah. the and the rest of that's their easy. Right, because it's easy and the rest of their you know, their IPA is a hopadillo and their Bach is a Crawford Bach and their I pull my hair out every yeah. time I try uh, to order beer because yeah. I, I because I, I don't lucky. take the easy route, yeah. Yeah, right. and you're lucky if they have if that kind of place has Sam Adams. Right, right. You're so. absolutely you're absolutely right. But I mean the, the, the answer is the the business person was like, Okay, so we're gonna lose some restaurants, big deal. We're gonna gain all that shelf space in the in right. the HEB. Right. And not just that HEB, but all of them. Right. Right. And no, that's a big thing. You can understand why and by the way, the to the people who started, you know, Carbach as a brewery, I do not begrudge them 
the fact that somebody came along and offered them a lot of money for their brewery and they said yes. I mean, that's their, you know, they're businessmen. That's their right. This is America. That's how, that's the way capitalism mm-hmm. kind of works. But as a beer lover, you hate to see it because uh, you feel like it could have some negative ramifications on the quality of the beer down the line. Well, and the bottom line is we a lot see. of people are just going to drink the can. Yeah, and in this because case, it's, because it's you know Astros. In this case, if it's if you're an Astros fan, it's a nice can. I have so. to say though, not the better beer, not for my not for my palate at all. I think all three of us agreed ab- yeah. about that uh, from a palate standpoint. The the Shinerbach is better, but I will say this: it's a drinkable beer. Like if somebody brought me one and it was cold, I would be it's easy it's, to drink it's, it. It's yes. no uh, it's no Budweiser Reserve, that's for sure. <laughs> well, that's another. Well, remember is? that that's travesty? Another blind tasting for another. They have time. a new one out. Yes, too, I know like, the Copper Reserve. Gosh. <laughs> we need to put that up against. We need to do a blind tasting with Budweiser's Copper Reserve and the 1836 Copper, Copper Ale. Oh yeah, I'm sure you. Which is a I'm brilliant sure beer. You, I'm sure you couldn't figure out which one of yeah. those was which uh, <laughs> by just uh, sniffing it. Yeah, uh, that's Buffalo Bayou. Our, uh, all right, so let's take a break. This is. I, I appreciate you guys' input on this. this has been very uh, interesting to me because I I'm. You know, I'm fascinated by all the marketing wars and stuff that go on. Uh, we shall see whether the folks at Shiner decide to go all high road or whether they uh, uh, want to punch back a little bit. It'll be very. I almost. I'm almost hoping they punch back because that's because that's the fun part, you know. Uh, all right, so we'll take a quick break. When we come back, it's wine time, my friends. We're going to talk wine for the holidays, and Mark Burrell is here, and he knows his stuff, so he'll be schooling us on great wine choices for the holidays. And oh. This is already so oh, yeah. nice. It oh, smells awesome. Already. All right, smoking and toasting. We'll be right back. That was a fun segue. And what a great segue to have, by the way, spoiled with our Texas wine. Oh, nice. Welcome back. It's smoking and toasting. This is the program that's all about uh, craft beer, fine spirits, hand rolled cigars, and today fine wine. As uh, Mark Burrell uh, is joining us to talk wine for the holidays, and we're brought to you by B and B Butchers and Restaurant at eighteen fourteen Washington Ave in Houston, and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth. Uh, yesterday in Washington D.C., the House Energy and Commerce Committee's Health Subcommittee passed. H.R. 2339. Now, it's just passed committee, but this is the legislative bill that if it's passed into law, would ban all catalog and internet sales for tobacco products, every tobacco product, including premium cigars. It's known as the Reversing the Youth Tobacco Epidemic Act. There we go again with youth tobacco. Uh, And it's aimed at the vaping and cigarette industry, but Premium cigars have been lumped into the language of the legislation. The bill unambiguously says that all tobacco purchases, including premium cigars, would require, quote, retail sales through a direct face-to-face exchange between a retailer and a consumer, end quote. The idea, I suppose, being that if you um, don't have to be face-to-face with someone, it might be easier for you to order something without having to prove that you are 21. You can order wine online. Yes, you can order all kinds of stuff online. The, yeah, I mean, as a, I'd like to know, can somebody do a study that would be a complete waste of time and money, but our government's not known for that, of course, <laughs> um, on how many times people under the age of 18 order boxes of premium cigars from Cigars International? Yeah. Um, um, like, I'm trying to imagine the situation where the mom comes home a little early and notices that there's a box 
from cigars.com that her 16-year-old son ordered. Mm-hmm. I just don't really see this happening. Um and they did a uh they did a uh uh they did a thing years ago where they uh decided that people under the age of 18 don't yes, smoke don't premium buy, hand rolled buy or cigars. Smoke premium cigars. You know? yeah. yeah. Like they spent I, I all the money to do that research. Um, yet this is just lumped in like that. It's absolutely crazy. The bill was introduced by uh, Frank Pallone uh, Jr., the Energy and Commerce Chairman, and uh, there was immediately a uh, an uh, exemption that was offered um, by uh, Representative Kathy Castor uh, from Florida. No surprise, uh, mm-hmm. Florida being the the place where there's more cigar industry, yeah, yeah, cigar absolutely. industry than anywhere else in the U.S. Um, and basically, the exemption would have pulled premium cigars out of this. Here's what uh, uh, Pallone, the chairman, immediately opposed the exemption, but said that he'd be open to consider her concern when the issue goes to full committee if she withdraws the amendment. He says, I oppose the amendment, but I would be open if she would withdraw it and not vote on it this time to consider her concern when we go to full committee. I think we can come up with something to address the concern that you have. So we'll see where this goes. Remember, it's only past committee, so now it goes to... It comes out of the committee and goes to the floor of the House, and then it would also have to pass well, the floor of the Senate. Here, here's a question. If the issue is with vaping, why don't they not let you order vaping stuff online? Uh, yeah, I think that's what, what this is really I mean, trying to address at its heart. But the problem is that everybody, the uneducated uh, in government, keep lumping premium cigars in with all this other legislation. Unbelievable. Yeah. And it'd be like, uh, you know, it'd, it'd be like... Um, lumping bicycles in with uh, with eighteen wheelers, yeah, know? pretty much. Yeah, and, that's and about saying, how similar. Yeah, they are. should have they should have the same legislation and restrictions that eighteen wheelers do. But anyway, uh, so that's the update. We'll keep you posted on it. Uh, it's not necessarily cause for alarm, but it could be. And uh, if we get there, uh, we will let you know. Mark Burrell is our uh, favorite wine Hi. guy here on the show. Uh, Mark is uh, with the Rainbow Lodge, where they have uh, a really awesome and amazing wine list as well as very uh, unique and and, uh, incredible uh, items on the menu. It's a great place to go for a date. Now, it's getting a little cold for the outside. It's a perfect time Uh, for lunch now. But but it's a perfect time for lunch, but I'm saying for the outside. Ah, well, yes. Getting a little cold. But when the weather's nicer, man, there's nothing better. No, but it's so cozy with the fireplaces. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It it really has, in the inside of the Rainbow Lodge, it really has that that perfect feel for having it's a winter a meal. Hunting lodge. It? Yeah, yeah, it really it really is awesome. So, uh Mark has, you know, the um opportunity to taste and uh and kind of uh, form opinions on a lot of wines uh through what he does there and what he's done uh, throughout most of his career. So, we wanted him to come on and uh bring us some wines that would be perfect to recommend to people for their holiday parties and get-togethers as Thanksgiving's now a couple of weeks away. Can you believe that? And uh, Christmas and New Year's right around the corner, Hanukkah. So, uh, so yes, let's uh, let's talk wine, Mark. What, Can we? Y- you poured us. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> we made you wait, and I appreciate that. But hopefully, the, the payoff rest, is the rest be of the good. show is yours, sir. Uh, I've I don't, I've been sipping on this, and you guys are blabbing away. Uh, so, what I what I brought to you for you first is rosé, and not just any rosé. This is Texas rosé. Let's see if mm. we can get this um, on here. This is. I'll let you do that. This is from um, the William Chris um, folks out um, just uh, west of here, um, uh, and if, I, I want to. 
address the elephant in the room. This is pink, and it's not scary. This isn't yes. the stuff that your mom drank in the eighties. This is um, <laughs> this is um, this is the it's, good stuff. It's not out of a box. It if isn't. <laughs> if you're drinking rosé and it's really super sweet, you're just not drinking good rosé. Well, correct? it's it, it's often not rosé. Technically, rosé right. they they call it something else. Um, this is this is rosé. Rosé is made from three different methods. Um, it can be. Um, Purposely made, in other words, they let the skins uh, sit on the juice for just a short amount of time. That's, that's what that's what colors the wine is the is the skins. So when you've got like, like tea a, or coffee, a deep dark red that has sat there for yep. much longer, correct? Yep. yep. So it yeah it sits there on the skins and and soaks up all that that uh, that color and texture and flavor and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, so to make rosé, one of the methods is you just let it sit on the skins for a short amount of time. Um, another method might be called is what's called uh, sagné, which is where they pull they make a lot and then while it's sitting there bleeding that's what the word sonia means and while it's sitting there um soaking up this color they'll pull off they'll bleed off some of that that fat in order just to pull some rosé out of there and they'll mm. let the rest of it finish making um, uh, that makes some sense yeah making red <clears throat> but but um but i did want to bring rosé and no it's not march or april and we're not sitting by the pool We've came in in our coats um but i think that rosé is a Perfect. Um, not only just all, all all the time, but I think it's great for holiday food. Right. Um, I think it's great for for <clears throat> turkey. I think it's great for all the sides. It's a mm-hmm. it's a really great way to kind of start the meal, um, uh, or start with um, white and then kind of move into the rosé before you right. get into red. It's a it's, it's a great way to transfer, uh, or rather to to to, um, to segue between. It's a lighter. Style of wine or food, and into the heavier. Forgive my uh, ignorance in terms, but this has an interesting thing. It's got a, a, a bit of a robust flavor, but with a delicate feel to it. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense at all. Well, it's, yeah. It's got this great fruitiness and this nice dryness that falls, and then a warmth that comes up behind that. That really, really does this. It sounds simple, but it really does a lot of different things. Characteristics of red wine in a light color. In a lighter color wine. And and a lighter drinking wine, too. Um, It has what I will just, you know, clumsily refer to as the Doritos effect, which is that there's something that it does on your palate that just makes you, oh, I want another sip Mm -hmm. of that. Like, it really, and they say that Doritos are, like, chemically um, designed to do that, right. to make you want another one after you've had a, a Dorito. So uh, that's why I call it the Doritos effect. But it, obviously, it's a very different flavor. But yeah, there's something when you when you swallow it and set the glass down, and that flavor is just lingering on like the back of your tongue. Yeah, and it just says, "Oh, I just want a, a little just, more." Of that. Just that's a touch. Just and really so, and good. and one of the reasons why I brought up the method by which this was made is for something that you just brought up. For the same reason that you can sit there and eat a bunch of blueberries or raspberries mm-hmm. or grapes, for that matter, it has that kind of 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 flavor to it. Yes, it's it's fruity and it's juicy, but the texture is there for the. Actually, let's take a little trip in our minds, okay. if you will. You're in the grocery store. Perhaps you're HEB. You've just picked up a six-pack of Shiner Bock. Um, you uh, see the produce department, and you pick up a grape. 
and you start to chew it. And the first thing that happens, you burst the grape in your mouth, and it and it and the the juices kind of run all over, and it's mm -hmm. sweet and it's refreshing. Mm -hmm. You chew a little bit further, and you really do get to taste the meat of the of mm -hmm. the grape. But mm -hmm. as you keep chewing, your mouth gets dry, and it gets and it gets a little bitter, and that's the skins and the, the seeds, skin. right. yeah. and mm -hmm. that's 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 the tannins in in the skins and the seeds, and that's what gives these big earthy rich red wines that type of body but you get some body and without all of the bitterness mm -hmm. the fruit is still there but you get the you get the flavor of the of the skins on this and right. i think that's really really great it um it's awful it's awfully light it hasn't sat very long on the skins if any at all um uh, but i think it uh, it's a really great it's a it's a heavier style of rosé and i think it's a really great um uh, thing to to have for your holidays, and you mentioned that uh, it might be a good thing to start start with a white, then use this to transition uh, to red. Is that is that a good way to serve uh, wine at well? At the holidays? I, oftentimes, or? you see the the rosé first. You see the rosé mm -hmm. being poured first. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I and that's perfectly fine. I, I I'm I believe you should drink what you like, and there should be no rules. Mm -hmm. But um, when we do like tasting menus, for example, or wine dinners, we'll often bury the rosé in the middle, just to allow that transition to uh, hmm. to let to let the, e the evening progress a little bit more. And it does kind of make sense, obviously, to save the the heavier or the more full uh, right. for last, so it doesn't kind of wreck your palate well, for the lighter stuff. One yeah. of the one of the biggest things I noticed about this though is the finish on this has that dryness. It's mm -hmm. dry with some sweet and doesn't leave a big round sweetness like a lot of mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of whites that I expect, and I'm very ignorant about wine, so please, uh, you know, hit me over the head if I say anything too silly. But, um, but this right here, I would, I would reach for this, knowing this now, over almost any white that I know of, just because I like the way this finishes, and a lot of whites finish a little sweet for my palate. This is the wine that I think I would want with uh, appetizers, like with, um, you know, with maybe like, you know, rice crackers and dip or uh, the type of thing you might be setting out at the beginning of the party. This is great with and, you things know? like prosciutto. Oh, it's, yeah, absolutely. It's really good with um, with with boiled seafood, specifically shrimp mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. uh, like maybe a lobster I, salad. I almost don't see a lot of things not going with this. Like I can imagine mm -hmm. this with salty things. I can imagine it with savory right. things. And I can imagine it with uh, much lighter and delicate things because I think something about this would go with uh, yeah. all And like you said, you could have this with the turkey and dressing if you wanted to. It, or it, or it, a, a salted tire from your car. I mean, this is, I think, <laughs> I think this is great. It's good for all. Yeah, it's yum. I love this stuff. I think it's great, great with everything. We, um, and, and inexpensive too, on the list at Rainbow, it, I think it's less than 40 bucks. Um, um, that's and awesome. I, yeah. And, it, and it's great. And it's, and it's relatively local. I mean, it's made um, <laughs> from just west of here. And, and one of the things I wanted to, to, point out not just this particular winery but there's there's a good number of wineries now in texas who are um very adamant about the fact that they won't source fruit from outside the state the the yeah. the way that that it is now is that wineries texas wineries can source fruit from outside the state and still call it texas wine and there's some legislation by these guys and um and some of their friends namely Doug Lewis at Lewis Wines and mm -hmm. um, Parasauce and, and uh, West Cave and a, a good a good number of these wineries who are on the forefront of 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 really looking at legislation to help help they do that. So this is not only really great wine, um, but it is from 100 percent Texas fruit. Nice. We're, we're talking about a lot of Texas stuff on the show, and and that's fine. Um, but 
tell me where you put Texas now in terms of of as a a place of origin for wines. I mean, has has it gained some ground? You think it has. It yeah. it really has, and that's because Texas is making really great wines. Mm-hmm. Um, they have for a long, long time. But I think for the 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 forty years ago, grape growers in Texas were trying to grow varietals that they thought that they could sell rather than things that were appropriate. Appropriate More, for the terroir. For the, ter- for the yeah. soil, for the for the right. weather, for the altitude, for the whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and Texas is a big place, so you can get... Right, you can get almost every, every a lot kind of... of uh, but there's uh, certain things that just don't do well in Texas. And it, it's unfortunate because those happen to be the popular grapes. Those California... Right. Sonoma County, Napa County, mm-hmm. Rydles that that sure. that people really gravitate to. Um, some of those just don't really do well, and so it's it's often those misunderstood, under um, under marketed varietals that do really well in Texas and makes a beautiful Texas wine. I've been a, a fan of really good Texas wine for a long, long time now, and we have a robust Texas section um, on the list at Rainbow Lodge. And and um, and that's because I'm a big fan of it. But uh, but one of the the, the criteria to to get onto the list there is that it's got to be well a good. Mm-hmm. I've got to really enjoy it. But uh, b that it comes from 100% Texas. Fruit. I think I think though um, from from a marketing standpoint, almost to its own. I know I know it's not an immediate help, but the fact that some of those more popular uh, grapes don't grow here, and we have our own grapes that grow you know better. And ingredients that grow better here uh, in the state, I think that's probably a large part of what's going to set Texas wine aside as like its own, its own thing. Its own yeah, thing, I hope its so. Own region, its there, own flavors, and there are eight or nine. Oh no, I'm doubting myself. But there, there's a good number of agricultural um, growing areas for grapes in Texas, and they range from a good number of the the grapes that come from this. In fact, all mm-hmm. of the grapes that come in this bottle come from the High Plains up near Lubbock. And a lot of people are surprised at the fact that, wow, they make they, they make, make wine from, yeah, from that absolutely. area. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. The wineries um, east of here in, or west of here in the in the hill country, but they, a good number of them source some, if not a good number of their grapes from um, from the High Plains. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really interesting uh, to be able to be at the point now where when you buy a Texas wine, you're not just doing it to go. Well, I want to support the Texas wine. You can do it because it's a really good it's wine. Good wine. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a, that's an important thing. Well, I think you know? you know, like as Texans, we're all proud of being Texans, mm-hmm. and I think it's an interesting thing because I will, as a Texan, buy stuff from Texas just to try it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll be a little this more adventurous because of that. This doesn't necessarily happen in North Dakota. Yeah, no, I think that <laughs> you know? I think that right. They make shit wine in North. Dakota. I think the state. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that that's the case, but I'm talking about anything. like they don't have the same kind of that's like one of the best state moments pride. ever. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. They make shit wine in North Dakota. Let's um, for those the... of you from North Dakota, I apologize, <laughs> but bring your wine. Yeah, import yeah. Well, um, does not reflect the views think... of the Rainbow Lodge. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think uh, one of the fun things about it is, is, is in Texas, we are all fiercely proud of Texas. Yes, and it's a, it's and I a think thing. that as yeah. a Texan, we'll we'll generally try stuff from Texas just because it's from Texas. Well, we're certainly and it's seen awesome that, when it's great, and we're certainly seen that happen in both craft beer and say whiskey. Yes. Like for example, Texas whiskey's a thing mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a, it's almost like uh, outside of uh, you know Scotland and Ireland, you know, then then you talk about America, you talk about Tennessee. 
Kentucky and Texas. Texas, yeah. You know, as oh, the yeah. places where whiskey is like not North Dakota. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> they have shit whiskey in North Dakota. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. <laughs> I should I should say I've never had one from North Dakota. I'm just guessing. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm guessing you're right. Uh, all right, we will take a quick break and uh, and be right back with uh, with more wine tasting and more uh, Mark Burrell from the Rainbow Lodge. This is smoking and toasting. <laughs> now I've got to go find wine from North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I know. Actually, I, I have an article somewhere buried in my stuff. It's like the, the best bottle of whiskey from each state. So now. Welcome back. It's smoking and Toastin'. This is the radio program that's all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars, and today uh, about wine as well. We're brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant, 1814 Washington Ave in Houston, and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth, and just opened uh, the Annie Cafe and Bar on Post Oak in Houston. I have not been it's since beautiful. they reopened, it's really but beautiful. I can't wait to go and, and see. I understand they've retained a lot of the original menu, mm-hmm. and maybe, you know... Have you had a chance to go there? Yeah, it it's, it's stunning. It's yeah. Yeah. Nice. They've done a really beautiful job with it. It's really one of the, you know, premier restaurants in Texas historically. So it's great to see it continuing on and, yeah. and them doing uh, good things with it. So, all right. The makers of a South African gin infused with elephant dung swear that this is no gimmick. They say that uh, uh, they stumbled across the idea about a year ago after learning... <laughs> That elephants eat a variety of fruits and flowers and yet digest less than a third of it. Yep. Um, it's called uh, Indlovu Gen. And Les and Paula Ansley are the creators of it. They say as a consequence, in the because of the, the digestive part of this, uh, in the elephant dung you get the most amazing variety of these botanicals. Uh, why don't we let the elephants do the hard work of collecting all the botanicals and we'll make gin from it, he recalled his wife asking. The idea came after a safari in which a uh, wildlife ranger described the elephant's digestive process. Uh, Weeks later, he said his wife woke him up in the middle of the night with the inspiration about using elephant dung to infuse their gin. He said, okay, let's give this a bash. Let's see how it works out. The first batch of elephant dung arrived by mail from the park where they'd taken their safari. And then the couple, who are both scientists, by the way, uh, puzzled for a while, which I'm sure they did, before they figured out the gin-making process. Uh, Now they collect the dung themselves. You can't make this shit up, and I do mean shit. Uh, Now they collect the dung themselves using their bare hands. I'm going to read one more line here. They describe the gin's flavor as lovely, wooded, almost spicy, and earthy, and one that and one that changes subtly with the seasons and location. Okay, uh, I, that's as far as I can go with that. Would you? Would you even? Would you even try it? I mean, I'm going to find this and I'll bring it. Uh, it's yeah. Um, they decided to name it. Hey, Cruz, would you pass Indlovu. me some of that elephant butt gin? They decided to, ma- uh, to name it Indlovu, I N D 
L-O-V-U, which means elephant in Zulu. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, they did not say how much of the gin they have sold. A bottle sells for around 500 rand, which is about $32. Yeah. So, uh, so there you go. It's uh, often a hit with tourists seeking a unique souvenir and a story to tell when they return home. No word on whether people are making elephant dung martinis. I, I, I really... Uh, how would you garnish that? <laughs> <laughs> with pretty much anything. <laughs> Maybe you wouldn't have to. A little, tough, a little tough to sawgrass. Oh, oh man. Okay, all right. Now I feel like we need a palate cleanser before we Can even we? start the wine tasting. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, all I'm all I'm just going to say is you can't make this dung up. Nope. Oh, you really man. can't. You really can't. So, um, so man, look how beautifully dark and purple that is. So is that fun? It is, but but see this this strikes me almost in in appearance more like a Pinot Noir than. Uh, You're uh, really close. Really, really okay. close. Okay. And here and here's why. Um, if you travel on the the eastern side of France and you okay. go from the north to the south, mm-hmm. you start in Champagne. Ah, I'll get to that mm-hmm. in a bit. Mm-hmm. But then you come down into Burgundy, where they grow Pinot Noir and Chardonnay almost exclusively. Just beyond Burgundy, in fact, most people would consider it in Burgundy, is where you get Beaujolais. Mm. And that's what we have here today. So Pinot, classic pairing with turkey dressing. It's what everybody brings to the table on on Thanksgiving. I decided to go a little further south and go Beaujolais. So is Beaujolais a little spicier? Um, Beaujolais can be a little spicier. It can be a little earthier. It's um, got a little just, more meaty kind of. Yeah, it depends on kind of where Mouth in Beaujolais feel. this comes from. Um, I, and I brought this for a couple different reasons. First of all, it is beautiful with um, with with your holiday meal. Um, secondly, um, next week is Beaujolais Day. On the third Thursday of every November is where they release the barely fermented juice um, that's called Beaujolais Nouveau, and it's meant to be a barometer of how that vintage will be. That's that's the whole point of so Beaujolais when, Nouveau. So when we see the Nouveau uh, come mm-hmm. out, is is that what it generally is? Is Beaujolais? Yes, that's yeah, what, that's okay. what it is. Beaujolais Nouveau is is just, and it may have only been fermenting for six weeks or so. I mean, I've, this had, is, I've had some of that in the past, and it's been quite good. It's great, but it's ready right now, and you right. don't keep it, and you don't save right, it, and right. you just you drink, you it, drink right away. it, and then mm-hmm. that's that. What I wanted to do was was show you um, not only what Beaujolais what the what Beaujolais is like um, as it ages but when it's meant to age and from specific villages within Beaujolais this one comes from Moulin Avant um a couple of years old 2016 mm-hmm. um here all all um red in Beaujolais is Gamay uh that's the name of the grape so instead of Pinot Noir it's Gamay and Gamay and Pinot are very closely related and that's why you get that's why you thought that this might have been Pinot but good job by the way it, it has some Pinot characteristics but it strikes me as being uh, a, a bit more and and mm-hmm. uh, no, and, and spicier in a, in a very good way. I and don't my often this is Pinot usually a little more peppery. You often get a, um, a kind of a cherry cola. Oh, okay. No, mm-hmm. in Pinot, depending <laughs> on where it's from, but but um, specifically Burgund- Burgundian Pinot. Um, you right, you do mm-hmm. get some sort of some black pepper. You get some uh, some uh, some currants. Um, but, but as a red, though, this is still. Much like a Pinot in that it's on the lighter yes. side of the red Absolutely. spectrum. It's so a little heavier than light body, but yes, it. it is. And, and isn't that one of the reasons that Pinot Noir is as popular as it is? Because 
it's a red that people can have, but you can still maybe be more likely to enjoy it with things that are more traditionally assumed to be something you'd pair white wine with, yeah, right? Sure, yeah. sure. I think I think you can pair Pinot with anything, right? Uh, or uh, Gamay or uh, Beaujolais, for that matter, right? With with, with anything because this has that feel to it that mm-hmm. that this would be okay with chicken or fish or the you, bet. you know that it would absolutely especially really barbecued. Yeah. Oh yeah. And like you got the that sort of grill taste. To yeah, it. you great. bet. This this would be this would be great with that with fish. If it's but if, I could have this with a steak too. It'd be just fine. Yep, you know? no problem. No, yeah, no that problem makes with the lighter like sauce. A real creamy blue cheese. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, I like yeah. that idea. That's a uh, it, it, well. It, it, there's there are really good blue cheeses that come from this part of France. And so uh, yeah, there's no mm, problem with that. Mm. Also truffles is a good. Oh, yeah. is a good area. So you're just north of the Rhone Valley where a lot of the truffles come from and. In uh, in France, in the southern um, in France, and so there's that anything with truffles, like good pasta, and and this again has that delicious sort of like I want another sip uh, mm-hmm. on the on the front of the tongue vibe to it's it. It's all part yeah. of my evil plan. Yeah, it really, <laughs> it's working. I'll right? tell you, it's working. Um, <laughs> how often do you guys do um, pairing dinners at so, the Rainbow Lodge? So there's there's two different ways I can answer that question. I can say every night. Um, every day, the chef comes up with a um, a tasting menu mm-hmm. um, where we offer a, a pairing, a beverage mm-hmm. pairing of some sort. It's typically wine, but we can do things like um, cocktails or beer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, every night I pair wine with. And so that's something different and, in every night's menu. Yeah, and, right? it, and it's it just depends on what um, what Chef Mark has found. Perhaps he's found a really great piece of fish that he doesn't have enough to serve as a special, but he can serve it as um, on the tasting menu. Or maybe he's playing with a new recipe and that mm-hmm. might make the menu in a few weeks and he's just right. kind of wants to, to kind of whittle it down. That could be on the tasting menu. And so that's that's um, that's a really great way to... Um, I love a good tasting menu. I was in France. That's why I missed the big shindig last week. But oh, my the, apologies. Yeah. Uh, but I was in France last week with some customers and, and every night we had a tasting menu and it was more along the lines of, ooh, let's see what they have and let's, let's taste new things and what is the chef working on? And that's kind of the point of the tasting menu. We also do specific wine dinners. I do about eight of them a, uh, a year. Right. A few of them in the spring, a few of them in the fall. Um, and where we um, get a principal or a winemaker or, or someone from the importer to come in and 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 present the wines mm-hmm. to an audience. Sometimes it's as little as 20, sometimes it's as much as 60 mm-hmm. uh, people. And the chef pairs a specific dinner with those specific wines. So the chef and I will sit down together and taste the wine. So you have to work very closely with the chef. Absolutely. And I'm assuming you also know your standard menu very well. Oh, yeah. Uh, that way when, when someone completely ignorant about wine like me walks in and goes, Mark, can you please help me? Mm-hmm. Because my wife is right now in a restroom and I need to look like I know what I'm doing with wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know that, that's, that's, that's part of that's part of the job. There's there's a there's a stigma about um, wine professionals and sommeliers um, where they don't want they just want me to spend a lot of money, and that's that's not at all the case. What I want you to do is drink well. I want you to, and it doesn't have to be expensive. Um, and I put little tricks so that you don't have to look like a schmo. That you can just order by number. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, yeah. where we where we have it in the cellar, you can say, "Oh, I'd like nine oh three five. No problem. We'll be happy to get that. That way, you don't have to try to pronounce all that French. You right? don't have to try to pronounce <laughs> it. You don't have to to divulge what the wine costs if right, you're wanting right. to splurge or right. not splurge. Not splurge. Right. Yeah, sure. Um, and and so and and it's, and, and oftentimes I'll just come over and and just say, "Hey, 
I'm here to help, man. Yeah. Let, let's uh, let's have some fun. You know, on the on the first show where you came in, you brought a number of wines, and we enjoyed them tremendously. And you brought intentionally all very affordable wines. I don't think you brought a bottle that was over fifty dollars. That's right. At at your uh, at your at, at restaurant, restaurant price, yeah, price, exactly, fifty dollars, yeah. which yeah. I thought was just outstanding and a lot of fun. On top of that, and I can tell you from going back in and ordering um, the uh, the sparkling wine that you had that was the one from uh, uh, from the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, the that, ratio, yeah. That was so good with the meal that I had. Oh my god, it was fantastic. Like, mm-hmm. uh, let me ask you this question about about pairings with with wine. When when you do the whiskey sniff, you light the cigar, you get the cigar on your palate, and then you go and you sniff the whiskeys to see which one seems like it would match the best. Um, is there a right or a wrong way to pair wine and food? In in, in other words. Are you better off to start with the wine? Or are you better off to start with the food, or does it matter? I think they complement each other so well <clears throat> that no, I don't think it does matter. You know, and in um, when we do the chef's tasting every night, the wine is paired with the food. Mm-hmm. But if you come to a wine dinner, then it's backwards. The food right, is the actually food is paired. Actually, but you, the wine is with the wine. The wine determined, the and then the chef comes up with a, uh, a an appropriate menu, menu right. for yeah. for that. Yeah. And. Um, and so I think it. I think it just depends. If you're, it, and it's just the kind of fun you want to have. You come in and you're just like, Mark, we really want to drink well. We're thinking about this bottle. What do you think? Okay, great. Now what should we have? That happens occasionally, but mm-hmm. I work at a restaurant that serves food, and that's, so usually that's people the are point thinking their food first. And so go, yeah, what do, what, oftentimes what do I order to go with this. Oftentimes yeah. people will just come in and say, Mark, I'm having the antelope or the elk or the buffalo. What do you think goes really great with this? And yeah. I'm one of those people that believe you should drink what you like, mm-hmm. and if it doesn't really go well with it, big deal. No. You're enjoying yourself. You're having a great time. Do your thing. Yeah, so if there it doesn't are those go people. well on paper, you mean, right. so yeah, to speak. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. So right. It, it's a big deal. You want to come in and have what you're, that big napper producer that, you're, you, that your father drank. It's fine. I've got it. I'm happy to sell it to you. Um, but if you want to ask me about... What really pairs well and what mm-hmm. goes great? I'm happy to have that conversation with you. It, it seems to me that the things that you've discovered along the way are the wonderful little like things that someone like me would never stumble across, right? So this is why I'm like, what? Please, Mark, what do you recommend? You know, well, what I mean? do you and, have? I'm sorry. Uh, do you have like, for instance, if I come in and order a specific appetizer, do you have like a favorite appetizer and wine combination that you've stumbled across, or maybe even uh, experimented with over the uh, over the years that you go, you know what? If you have no idea what you're going to get, get this appetizer and this wine. I used to do that. I used to, but um, our and we have staples. We have things that 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 we have all the time, but. For the most part, the the menu changes so frequently, and ah, as does my wine list. Right, right. And so right. it th- there are things that pop on and off, and things that I can't get anymore, and things that are just a really great deal. Well, and I guess wine from year to year changes as well. It can, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a good number of producers, especially the big names, who want that that um, sense of that the consistency. It, it stays the same, yeah. right? It's this. It's consistent every year after year. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I will say this: if you go to the Rainbow Lodge. You've uh, you've ordered your meal and you ask Mark what will go with it, and he recommends a gin that is infused <laughs> with elephant dung. I would I would maybe seek a second opinion. I'm that's all. That's all raise I'm an saying. eyebrow on that one. Yeah, I, would, I would just. Seek I'm a charging second fifty bucks a glass for that. <laughs> Although I, I will wait. say the gin drink that you had us uh, the the aged gin. Oh my goodness, that, that was you terrific. Had us, uh, 
that we had last time. What was the name of that drink? That was the very old fashioned. That was the very. Oh, old that's right. It was an old fashioned with that gin. Yes. It was English so fashioned. Yeah, good. but so but good. let's be clear. There was no dung involved. There no, was no dung. There was. And by the way, that was Texas gin. By the way, yes. yes. So there we that. go. I love that. All right, let's take a quick break. We're going to come when we come back in our final segment. Uh, we're not only going to taste some champagne. Uh, but we're also going to taste some uh, tequila. So uh, we promised to tie Mark down and, and force feed him tequila before he leaves. <laughs> no, so. no, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> so we'll be back at Smoke and Toast. And <laughs> thank you for being here for show number 163. This is delicious. Yeah, it is. So last night, um, we do a, I do a consumer taste And um, because of the uh, Ojale Day coming up next week. On the beach in Hawaii. Welcome back. It's Smoking and Toasting. It is, uh, it is the uh, program that is all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. And uh, today, uh, about wine as well as Mark Burrell from the Rainbow Lodge in Houston uh, is joining us. We are brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth by BB Italia on Memorial in Houston, BB Lemon, and, of course, the uh, newly opened Annie Cafe and Bar on Post Oak Boulevard in Houston. I found out something during the break, and it's one of the reasons why if you catch the show on uh, Facebook Live and you uh, are privy to the stuff that goes on, uh, you know, in between the breaks, sometimes that's when Ian, like, really lets his hair down, which is always, you know, <laughs> which is always interesting. But during this break, I found out that there apparently is a celebration that goes on that I was not previously privy to. And that is Mark Vember. Oh, Mark Vember. So, Mark Vember. So uh, Mark Burrell is uh, is our uh, guest and and uh, celebrity wine consultant. Mark, what is Mark Vember? Mark Vember is is a glorious time of year. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> so my birthday's on Monday. Oh, happy and birthday! Happy birthday! Thank you. Um, and um, when I was a kid, um, I thought that um, that my birthday lasted until Mardi Gras. Because there was always a party. There was always something happening. Well, there was it, being when it is, and right. then you hit Thanksgiving and you know Christmas and Hanukkah and New Year's and you bet. Mardi and then Rock. there's Twelfth yeah. Night and there's Mardi Gras. <laughs> it's a big, it's a big deal, right? And so um, I thought, and of course I thought it was all for me. So um, I told that story about 15 years ago to a good friend of mine who said, "Oh, during this time," and we dubbed it Mark Member together and. And she said, during this time, you should drink champagne every day. Every day. And I thought, you love, and I'm like, I love champagne. I would love to do that. But I don't know if I can afford to drink champagne every day. Now, maybe sparkling wine. Maybe Perhaps I could right, do that. Right. And so for many years, during every day during Mark Vember, we had bubbles every day. And, um, and I, I'm fortunate enough to work in an, in an industry and at a position where I am, where I can indeed have champagne. You can have bubbles every, every day. day. Yeah, yeah that's, and so that's awesome. today I brought champagne. Uh, that's and, and I'm that so is thrilled. a that is a commitment. It yes. is, and and that's awesome. <laughs> it's it's so great. One of the things we love is people who really are committed to their craft. <laughs> yes, and that's a uh, if, you know, that's if I must the things yes. that I do. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, you well, I was mentioning during during the break that. Um, I'm just a huge fan of sparkling wine and champagne, and I would say that, um, honestly, about 70-75% of the wine my wife and I drink at home is sparkling. It's just it's just what we love, you know, and it's it's kind of our go-to. And we found our our favorite inexpensive, you know, sparkling wine, so we feel like we can always have it, you know, and then if you feel like splurging, we'll go with a little nicer bottle. You, you know? know, I enjoy it when it's good, and I just never think about it when I'm out shopping for wine or 
or you know, because I usually buy beer or whiskey. So <laughs> I know I'm doing good when I wheel my cart in my specs because I shop at the downtown uh, specs. So I, I wheel my cart into the bubbly uh, aisle, the bubbles aisle they call it, and um, invariably because they've got so many like wine specialists and stuff there. Invariably, someone appears out of nowhere. Anything I can help you find, sir? About the time I'm loading my favorites into the cart. And I go, no, I think I got it. And then they look at what I've got. And they go, oh, yeah, you're, do- you're doing great. Like, <laughs> they give job. me the thumbs up. So I'm like, okay, cool. I, I, feel, I feel good about this here. But uh, I have a feeling you brought us something that I am not at all familiar with. I did. I did. I, I love this stuff. And I've, we've been working with it at, at, um, at the lodge for a, a good number of years now. Oh, my um, God. And I visit I, – I, go to a, um, a trade show in, in Germany every year, and every year I stop by these guys um, by the booth where they're, they're, they're manned. And, and yeah, show that off. Yeah. I, um, I just love it. This is from Chateau de Bligny. <clears throat> it's the only um, property in Champagne that is allowed to call themselves Chateau. Really? Yeah, and it has to do with, first of all, this is a grower's Champagne, mm-hmm. Um which means that the um, the winemakers are growing their own fruit on their own land. Um, mm. The opposite end of that is a négociant, which is what most of the champagne that that you drink is. What is négociant, and it's not better or worse. It just means that um, in this case, at least the the uh, winemaker has an input into the farming of the of the land and right. so that so that he can de- uh, delegate um, how those grapes are grown sure it's kind of like you know we see the same thing in cigars where you know many cigar makers you know purchase tobacco mm-hmm. from other tobacco growers mm-hmm. and then there's some places like when we were at the Aladino farms in Honduras where they grow their own tobacco yeah. and that's what you know, primarily they do occasionally bring in some other things to blend, but uh, that's what primarily their cigars are made from is the tobacco they grow right there, right there yeah. on their own farm. So I can see where, you know, it doesn't necessarily, like you said, it didn't make it better or worse, but you certainly have more input into yep. what you're trying right. to achieve in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of flavor or. or well, there are a lot of a lot of whiskey places that tout the the grain to glass thing. Sure, a lot that's of a big deal. Places, mm-hmm. you it's know. a big deal right now, grain to glass. Yes. Well, and I, th- I think that that's what uh, makes this particular champagne um, special. It's not a very expensive um, champagne. In fact, I think it's on the list at, at the lodge for sixty-five or seventy dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but it's it's it, I I think it's one of our one of our special um, unsung um, wines because it's not one that you know of. You know, you think of these big names. When you think of Champagne, Moet, Clicquot, mm-hmm. you think of these big names, but you don't think sure. of a lot of these little ones. And um, and I, it, it's, it, hey, if I'm going to tell you, yes, you can drink Champagne on a Tuesday. You don't need a special occasion right. to pop a bottle. I well, better have something to back it up. And well, if it's Mark, exactly what this if is. it's Mark Vimber, you've got your special occasion right there. There it that's is. Right, that's yeah, right. So Absolutely. 131 no days worth. <laughs> this, <right. laughs> this has a bit of a warmer kind of overall flavor to it than mm-hmm. I was expecting. A lot of Champagnes, I expect that kind of bright uh, and really, really bubbly. This has... A little bit of a warmer flavor and a little bit of, am I getting honey in the back of that? That's a little bit, yeah. yeah. So I think there's two different classifications that you can that you can kind of lump in champagne, and that's either lemon meringue or lemon cream. Mm-hmm. And, and, and depending on, on not only what's in the bottle, um, like for example, this is a good amount of, um, of uh, a Chardonnay. 
Um, right. There are three grapes, can, by the way. Can, I should back this up. There are three grapes that are mainly grown in the Champagne region. That's Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Meunier. Okay. Um, and um, this particular producer actually makes one called Cissepage, which is all six grapes. Mm. Um, and uh, we've got that one at the lodge, too. It's glorious. It's a bit expensive, but but it's really fantastic. Where you can get all six grapes in there, but this one is primarily um, Chardonnay, and I think it's did such a great job at this. Mm-hmm. I am, uh, like I mentioned, uh, we enjoy sparkling wine in my house quite a bit. Um, is Am I just a product of what I've been able to enjoy so far here today and it's affecting me a little bit or <laughs> are these bubbles a bit larger well, than what I have uh, maybe had and what I'm normally drinking yeah I think so on. I think so they um, it they doesn't do feel as tightly carbonated bigger bubble um, you actually taste the wine it's not mm-hmm. just yes, all absolutely. it's not just all fizz um, you can actually taste the wine and that's that's one of the things about this one it's <clears throat> where champagne is um, and the map, by the way, it's uh, for those of you that travel, it's about a 45 minute train ride from Paris. So when I was there last week, we just went for a day mm-hmm. and came back that afternoon. Um, and so it's it's an easy trip, but it's in that north um, and eastern part of, of France. Well, this particular producer is pretty much as far south in Champagne as you can get. It's it's almost in Burgundy. Um, and so that's why that's why th- this one tastes a little bit different and I think it's because of the terroir and it's a little bit um, uh, it's it's just a different style you get some of that earthy yes it, yeasty it's bready got a little bit of that earthiness yeah. to it. yes for sure I, I, I wanted to ask you how did you get into doing this I know you have a background doing like like radio and radio promotions mm-hmm. and things like how did you cross into the world of being the guy who says because not everybody gets to say this when I was in Paris, we decided to take the forty-five minute train ride to <laughs> Champagne and uh, go to this. Yeah, uh, did so you, so did you, you have like the world's most awesome guidance count- counselor. It must have been say, that. You know yeah. How did how did you wine. how did you tra- to do with how did you transition? Into I left radio. Yeah, that's what I did. So so did most people. <laughs> uh, uh, by the way, I uh, uh, I no no I I, I moved um, after I left the radios um, I moved to Houston where I got a job in the oil business um, and I, I took a part-time job at a um, at a at a the, well at the Houston City Club which is not there anymore mm-hmm. in Greenway Plaza just so I could play tennis indoors because Houston's terrible to play tennis <laughs> outdoors yes, right it's yes. warm um, and 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 I was always an enthusiast so I was learning I was reading I was and the um, the management there said well, why don't you be in charge of the wine committee um, and so I said, sure. And we, I got to host some, some wine dinners. And it's kind of how I realized that I should be in hospitality of some sort. Um, and then um, I'll give um, Mike Salmon's a big old pat on the back, he, who is the guy who um, opened 13 Celsius in Midtown mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and gave me a shot as kind of a part timer over there just because I was interested. And I thought this would be kind of cool. I have a real job. What Right. So I'll go work behind the bar, and that turned out to be my real job because from there I was asked to write a wine list. From there I was asked to be a general manager at a, a really uh, um, hot spot in town, and mm-hmm. I just moved on and on and on. And um, finally, about four years ago, settled at the Rainbow Lodge where I couldn't be happier. Wow. Really, it's such a great place to be. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, we're going to force a little bit of tequila on you before you go. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> yes, we're we're good like that. And uh, this is something uh, as you have. 
Ooh, uh, see, I, I, I could tell that one was coming. Uh, that's my, uh, as you have uh, become so uh, wonderfully curious about different wines and, and trying things, I, I'm that way about tequila. I don't know nearly as much about tequila as you know about wine, but I have that what I call the tequila curiosity, which is anytime I see something that I haven't tried from a tequila standpoint, I'm, I'm just all over it. And so this Can I make was, a recommendation for yeah, you? Yes. Visit tequila. I would love to do that, and I haven't done it. I, I would it's love a, to do it. It's a remarkable place. It's mm-hmm. easy to get to. It's in the same time zone. It's inexpensive like crazy. Yes. And the best hotel I've ever that, stayed in my life was in tequila. And when you do that, make it a smoking and toasting thing so that I have to go with you. <laughs> you know, Ooh, that's, perhaps that's actually a really <laughs> good idea. Perhaps yeah. I need to like pull some strings and get you behind the behind the gates at a really great distillery, and <laughs> he'll the, join you. There you yeah, go. behind the, the curtain. <laughs> I, I like this idea. I like where that we're going with this. Awesome. I like where we're going with this, but no, I have um, um, my my first real exposure to decent tequila. Oddly enough, came from the Jose Cuervo company because uh-huh. I was involved in a radio promotion that we did with Cuervo, and as a thank you, uh, because they were real pleased with the job that we did, I got invited to a tequila tasting. This was in Boston, Massachusetts, years ago, and it was in this beautiful old church that had been converted into a nightclub, and they'd set up all these tables around, and it was the first time I'd ever encountered a tequila flight. But they came and set this flight of tequila in front of us, and one of the tequilas on the flight, the the best one, was the um, Jose Cuervo Reserva de la Familia, which oh, is yeah. to this day my favorite tequila I've ever had. And I, I just got the new vintage at the lodge. I, oh, just just this week. See, I still have a bottle of that at home, but I don't think it's the new vintage, so we'll have to talk. <laughs> uh, but uh, but that was when I tasted that, and I thought, well, this is. This would be great with cigars. And that sort of began my tequila uh, journey, uh, if you will. So uh, I do like to try things that I haven't tried, and that's where uh, this one came from. This one I just found really interesting because it's got uh, Frida Kahlo on it, who is a symbol of uh, independence in Latin America. And uh, it's – go ahead, Ian. You. It says, few people had a greater passion for life than legendary Mexican artist Frida Kahlo. She was a true original, a near-mythical figure known uh, as much for her iconic paintings as for her colorful lifestyle and clothing. That uh, passion for life inspired the spirit that bears her name, Frida Kahlo Tequila. Capturing the tastes and uh, traditions of Mexico, Frida Kahlo Tequila is an authentic tequila of outstanding quality and taste made from 100% blue aguave. One sip and you'll know you're enjoying the very essence of originality. Very nice. Well, I can tell you on the nose, this has all kinds of... You don't of, even have to put this to your nose. Like, like I smell it from the glass yeah, already. <laughs> yeah. This has all kinds of maple and brown sugar and and notes of uh, vanilla, I would say. Which Lots is, of vanilla. Again, this is, this is my sort of sweet spot for tequila. I mean, I love the agave flavors. I had some of the uh, uh, crystal... Um, uh, tequila last night actually that has that you know really upfront agave and I really enjoyed it but this this is where it it really comes to it for me is something that has this kind of um, this kind of deeper uh, oaky and uh, maple flavor. This is a very warm and peppery flavor mm-hmm. to it, but not mm-hmm. peppery in in a uh, in a hot spice flavor, but pepper in a deep, warm and rich flavor to Almost it. Almost like a white pepper. Yeah, you know, it's. Uh, yeah, there's a um, you you definitely get the agave the, mm-hmm. the that sweetened agave is is um, is forefront on there and it's not at all um, 
uh, I, I don't get a lot of the the spice on it, but I do. Mm-hmm. But what I do get is um, a bit of a honeyed kind of characteristic that mm-hmm. is um, that's really lovely. This is I'd, I'd have no problem drinking this. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is definitely something you can sit down and sip quite a bit of. Yes, which you know is the dangerous thing, of course, about tequila to begin with, uh, is that that characteristic and quality. Excuse me, um, uh, but um, yeah, it's it's got that it's got that sort of inviting warmth to it, which is not uh, you know some tequilas are can be very sort of pepper forward, mm-hmm. and they're delicious, but they don't have that invite you back um, quality to the same degree as this. I think this one. It's does. so interesting. Like there's a couple almost it's inconsistent or uh, maybe trickery about this like it looks like it would be a little oilier than it is um the mouth feels fairly light actually the mouth feels fairly light compared to what, the way it looks in a glass and then the finish on this is so like warm and wonderful like i want this on a night like last night or probably tonight mm-hmm. where i'm sitting next to a fire outside yes sir. and and just sipping on this and having a cigar that would be such a nice friendly warm I feeling i feel you know? like this would pair really nice with any sort of medium to full cigar yes that it would yes. that it would have the right uh qualities and characteristics to stand up to mm-hmm. the the more full tobacco and uh you know what else this might be really good with fish tacos <laughs> well, let's just y- yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yes. I'm just going to make the statement now. Everything is good with fish tacos. <laughs> fish tacos. No, I was going to say a pipe. Yeah, I, I could really yeah, see you having this with a pipe. And I've been thinking about pipes uh, a something, bit more. In the past something a little more English, though, because if you do something mm-hmm. too much Cavendish, too much uh, aromatic, then the sweetness I think would kind of agreed uh, fight a little bit, but a little more on the English side. Agreed. Something more, a um, more of the leather mm-hmm. uh, profile, yes. and absolutely, and. and uh, deeper richer tones like that would go very well with that um, maybe i'll do that so um <clears throat> and as far as glassware is concerned riedel makes a tequila glass and it's, it looks very much like a champagne flute it's mm-hmm. long and narrow but when i was at the jose Cuervo distillery a uh, place they call la Regina, they served that the the spirit that you're you're talking about the, the, la, res- the reserva de la familia yeah. in a snifter in a cognac snifter. Yes, that's and how it I was, drink mine at home. And it was a, and it was to allow and this I think this is something that would work well in oh, yeah. in that type Agreed. of Agreed. Agreed. Let yeah. it kind of move through the glass. Actually, I have a uh, have several small they're like small snifters. Mm-hmm. And that's what I usually have to get oh, yeah. out of is is the they're they're not long and thin. But they're snifter shaped, but they're smaller in size than mm. you know some of the uh, some of the ones you would uh, normally think of for other beverages. But uh, and they're good. And as with all tequilas on this show, no salts or limes were harmed in the tasting in, of this yeah. tequila, <laughs> well, no, or ice for that matter. Or <laughs> ice for that matter. <laughs> well, what a show, man! We have had um, three amazing wines, really amazing wines. And I'll just go ahead and say it. I actually kind of enjoyed both the beers too. Like uh, um, they were, uh, you know, they, they were not equal, but they were, uh, but they were both good in their own way. And uh, and now closing out with the tequila. This is, uh, you know, this is why I enjoy doing this program because I really enjoy drinking good stuff. 
You know, <laughs> this is not the worst job I've no, had. No, it's not. It's Thank really you, everybody, not. for showing up. Uh, also, yes. if you're watching this, uh, if you don't get a chance to watch it all, please look us up on uh, YouTube. Hit the like button on mm -hmm. YouTube and also subscribe to our channel and uh, hit the little bell to let you know whenever we've got new content coming out. That kind of stuff brings out more and more content from us. Mark Burrell is our guest. He's with the Rainbow Lodge. They have a uh, a wonderful and very, um, I, don't, I don't want to just call it exotic menu, but they have some things on their menu you won't find everywhere else. A lot of wild game. Yeah, a lot of wild mm -hmm. game. And then they've also got stuff that, you know, you don't. You don't have to feel like, oh, that's the only reason to go there. I mean, they've got you know great uh, steaks and fish and, uh, and the seafood is incredible. Yeah, mm -hmm. it really, awesome. it really is. So, and uh, and the wine list, I got to say, spectacular. Yes, <laughs> and ever evolving, which is what makes it fun. So, ask for Mark when you go. Uh, you you work most nights, right? I'm there all the time. He's there all the time. <laughs> ask for Mark when you go and say, you know, like take care of me, like uh, you know, you know, school me, show me what I need to know. Uh, that's that's the fun thing to do. Thank you, uh, Mark, uh, for being it's my pleasure on the program once again. And uh, see you in tequila. All the wines were spectacular, and let's make plans. Let's do it. <laughs> the tequila trip. Yeah, the tequila trip. Uh, thanks Cheers. again to Adam, our producer on the Wheels of Steel. Have a great week, everybody. We love you, and we'll talk to you for number 164 next week. Cheers. Awesome. That was fun. Mm -hmm. Are you kidding? It's perfect.